Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello and welcome to the Living Out Podcast, the podcast that seeks to help people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. I'm Andrew Bunt, part of the team at Living Out and I'll be your host today and I'm really thrilled to be joined by my good friend and colleague Anne. Hello Anne, how are you doing? Good morning, I'm doing well in chilly Newcastle, yeah. It is pretty chilly at the moment, (laughs) that's true. Today we're continuing our Meet the Authors series and we're actually going to have someone with us today who is a regular uh, contributor to this podcast but we're actually yet to interview him so it's great that today we'll get to hear his story, hear some of his wisdom and learn from him. And Anne, first of all I want to ask you a question. I know that our guest we've got today is a big fan of train journeys, (laughs) often is travelling the country by train so I want to know what is your favourite mode of transport and why? Oh wow, Andrew! That that needs a whole podcast in itself because I love. Oh, really? <laughs> I love transport. Whenever I go on holiday, <laughs> I um I always find the local transport museum, um and have a good old mooch around there. So I love wow. I love sort of vintage transport that kind of thing. Um, my favourite transport museum is the Kreitch Tramway Village, which is amazing. It's like wow. You, you go in and then there are trams just going all over the place and you ride about on them all day. Um, and it's all kind of historical. So there's people in old costumes and things. And it's just like going back in time. It's absolutely incredible. Um, but I love trying out. Yeah, it is amazing. I love trying out all sorts of different modes of transport. So this year I, I got to fly a Cessna, which was incredible. <laughs> uh, and I, wow. I, I did enjoy going in a helicopter once, although it wasn't planned because um, I got rescued off the side of a cliff. Um, so once I'd stopped dangling underneath the helicopter <laughs> and actually got inside it, it was quite good fun, um, if a little exhilarating <laughs> and death-defying. <laughs> Wow. Okay, I'm now regretting answering this question, asking this question, because I have no exciting (laughs) answer. That was far more exciting than I thought possible. My, 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 oh, this is so awful now. My answer was going to be, I really do like trains. I love a long train journey. I love the chances to stop and to read. I love places like, um, if you go on the northeast, Northumberland, Mm. up into Scotland, it's just a beautiful route. We went to Dundee at one point and that route along the coast, really beautiful. Southwest coast, also beautiful. But also, I was going to say, actually, having to drive more recently for various things through COVID period and train strikes, I've actually grown to really like long distance driving. Mm. And if you get the playlist right, that's the trick, get the playlist <laughs> right, and a long distance driving journey is okay. So much more boring than you, but I like both train or car. I'm not adventurous. I wouldn't go in a helicopter or something like that. So. <laughs> Let's introduce today's guest. We're really thrilled today to have Andy Robinson with us. He's part of the team here at Living Out. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you just um, introduce yourself and particularly tell us what you do here, your training director here. What does that mean? Uh, yeah, I'm still trying to work that out, actually. But I, I think <laughs> being the uh, the training director uh, means that I head up the uh, the events that Living Out does. So we do Living Out days around the country, about eight or nine a, a year to uh, try and talk about the Bible and sexuality and how uh, churches can help same-sex attracted Christians to flourish and how we engage with culture and so on. So I head those up, uh, sort out things like webinars, which we do each term for church leaders, and I actually do quite a bit of speaking as well. So um, I think I got to about 40 or 50 talks on sexuality this year. So uh, wow. so yeah, so lots of train journeys thinking about talking about sexuality to random strangers. 
<laughs> so that the key question is, what's your favourite route to travel by train? Well, actually, you've kind of pinched it, Andrew. So as you were mentioning northeast oh. and southwest, I was thinking, yeah, that's that's my answer. So love northeast coast. Southwest coast is great as well. Anything with a coast is is mm. good. I agree. I agree. It's good. And it's just so great to uh, have you on this podcast because you've managed to you know, avoid having your story videoed and put on the website and that kind of thing. But I've had the privilege of hearing some of it at, at some of the events that uh, that you run and organise. Uh, so I wondered if you could tell listeners, first of all, something about your experience of same-sex attraction. Yeah, so, I mean, a little bit of my story. I Huge privilege having Christian parents that I'm really thankful for. Hated church. Uh, as a sort of six or seven year old, because I just hated action songs and memory verses. They were just patronizing. <laughs> I can uh, believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was born age 40, but uh, became a Christian around the age of 12. Uh, and then I suppose like most human beings started to develop uh, sexual attractions not long after that. Um, those were for guys rather than girls. Uh, wasn't something that I chose. That was just something that happened. Um and I suppose during teen- teenage years, really didn't talk to anybody about that, kind of hoped it would go away, prayed that it would go away. Um, let's be honest, about 30 years on, it hasn't gone away. Um, and so I suspect probably won't at this point. But uh, but yeah, so that that's essentially my, uh, my story. And yeah, a mixture of emotions attached to that. Um, some things that can sometimes feel quite confusing. Uh, but yeah, that that would be my rough history of same-sex attraction. Mm. And how, how did that kind of fit with your faith? So you you know you were uh, sort of brought up in a, a Christian environment, and you know how, how did those two things interact? Did you realise what it would mean for you know following Jesus and, and submitting your sexuality to Him, or did that kind of was that a gradual revelation? Yeah, no, I I think I think so. It, it that was always clear in my my mind. So I'd. You know, from the start of being a Christian, I'd been clear in my mind that involved living with Jesus as Lord, um, and Jesus tells us uh, how we should live through the Scriptures. And so, for me, there was always a clarity that if this didn't change, if I remained attracted to people of the same sex, that wasn't going to involve a, a sexual relationship. So, so that was probably always always clear in my mind, and. You know, I went on to be a, a church leader, a, a pastor, and I ended up thinking if I if I change my mind on sexuality, it would mean me reading the passages on sexuality completely differently to the way I read any other verse from the Bible. That somehow I'd be twisting it and distorting that, and I just realised I couldn't do that. Uh, so for me, there always has been a clarity that if I want to live for Jesus, if I want to follow His teaching, the Bible, it, it will mean not having a sexual relationship with people of the same sex. Mm. And I guess that, you know, that must have been tough over the, I, I suppose there are some times where it's not as big a deal and there must be some times where that's been particularly, that the pain has been particularly acute. What what kind of has kept you going and kept you faithful to Jesus during those times and over the years that you've been a Christian? It's probably encouraging that as somebody who preaches quite a bit now, uh, to be honest, I can think of two or three sermons that were utterly life-changing in that regard. So, 
remember back in the uh, mid-1990s, and this was quite unusual for a preacher to talk about at that point, but mm. he was speaking on Ephesians chapter 1, uh, where you get the repeated idea, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And uh, he, he mentioned that the Deputy Chief Commissioner of the Met Police, I think this guy called Brian Paddock, had just come out as gay. He noted that was a really brave thing for him to have done, but then said, some of you in this congregation will be wrestling with the same sort of issues. I want you to know this, your identity is you're in Christ. Um, and it was really funny, actually, because at that point, nobody knew about my sexuality. So I was <laughs> desperately concealing the sort of tears running down my uh, my face. But but that was just big for me thinking, okay, I'm somebody who is loved by Jesus, joined to Jesus. This battle is always going to be Jesus and me together. Um, and then just a, a second sermon, and um, people who know me won't be surprised by this, was from 2 Corinthians. Um, at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul has this thorn in the flesh. Uh, we don't know what it is, but he finds it excruciatingly painful. Mm-hmm. And three times he cries out, Lord, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away from me. And I think by the time I'd heard this sermon, I'd probably prayed 333 times to take it away from me uh, about my sexuality. Because, you know, at times it, it had been excruciatingly painful. And yet God's response to Paul is, no, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I guess as I heard that sermon, there were just two elements for me. So partly it was just God's promise to me, actually, you know, I'm probably not going to take this away from you, but my grace will be sufficient for you. And um, that's been probably about 25 years since I heard that sermon, and I'm so thankful that's been true. But also, you know, my powers made perfect in weakness. Um, to be honest, other than sexuality, my, my life has been absurdly smooth. And I suspect <laughs> without this, I'd have just been hideously uncompassionate, useless pastorally, probably quite arrogant. And actually just this has been the thing that the Lord has used to hopefully make me vaguely humble occasionally (laughs) and certainly need to rely on him. It's been the thing that he's used to help me to empathize with people going through other things they wouldn't have chosen. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so those two sermons actually from Mm. Ephesians, Identity in Christ, and then 2 Corinthians, you know, God works through weakness and his mm. grace is enough um those are probably the two two sermons i mean other things to say people i've spoken to over the years have been superb um you know just just good friends to me um and so that combination of hearing god's voice you know in in the bible mm. and just the uh the friends that i've spoken to over the years they've been a, a huge encouragement in mm. persevering and keeping going that's wonderful. And it's amazing, actually, to, to hear you talk about uh, the example of Paul's thorn in the flesh and actually to see um, part of your experience of same-sex attraction as a, as a gift that enables you to rely on God and also enables you to understand and empathise and connect with others. Because I think sometimes we can just see it as a burden that we want rid of, but it, it's something through which God can shape our character and make us more like him, which is incredible. Yeah, um, no, that's right. Yeah. You mentioned that you've been a pastor. I think you've been a pastor for 19 years. So (laughs) that's quite a long time. Um, What has it been like to be a single pastor? Because I know that I guess most people in church leadership are are married. Have there been particular challenges or blessings of being single in that role? 
it probably felt like quite a long time for the church as well, 19 years actually. But uh, yeah, so I, I was pastor of uh, Woodstock Road Baptist Church in Oxford. I actually finished this uh, summer just gone and I'm now uh, heading up a, a ministry training course in Oxford alongside living mm. out. But yeah, to be a, a single pastor, um, I mean, there are challenges with it. So I, I think the challenge is mainly at the kind of loneliness level. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, sometimes churches have their challenging moments and, you know, pastoral meetings where you're carrying people's burdens and so on. And then you go home, the house, you know, you're on your own. Yeah, there is a loneliness to it that that hasn't always been easy. Mm. Um, But also that there are strengths, there are opportunities. I I think it's probably no surprise here. It's probably given me an ability to empathize with single people in the church um in a way that you know married people can and um you know married people should still speak into issues of singleness but obviously that will be slightly from memory rather than it being a a present experience and Mm -hmm. and so given you know in lots of our churches including the church here quite a lot of the congregation are single um i think there were benefits in having a a single pastor Mm -hmm. It, it probably did just give me a fair amount more flexibility in terms of sort of time, in terms of when I could see people and uh, and catch up with people. Um, and I say, I, I think some of the some of the pain of being uh, single, you know, in missing out on something the Bible says is good, was also the thing that that helped me to speak into pastoral situations that weren't necessarily singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, part. You know, I, I don't obviously I don't think pastors have to be single, but I, I would want to push back quite hard on churches who as they think, Oh, we need a pastor, obviously they must be married with family. Mm. Part of me yeah. thinks that there is a danger you're just missing out on on opportunities that do come with having a, a pastor who's single. Yeah, that's really helpful. It's a, a challenge to those who are in church leadership and who are in positions of sort of recruiting church leaders. But it's also um, a, a good encouragement for those of us who are single as well, not to think that our singleness somehow disqualifies us from church leadership or to feel like, you know, we, we can't um, speak into pastoral situations because we don't have a family, uh, a, a nuclear family of our own. Um, that's that's really great. And um I assume at some point you told the church about your sexuality. Uh, <laughs> how did that happen and, and how did they take it? What was that like? Yeah, I, I mean, I was, let's see, I was pastor at, at the church for, uh, I think, 11 years before I, I said anything. It's worth saying, actually, the elders, some my fellow church leaders knew before they appointed me. And um, yeah, I mean, just really thankful for for those guys because again, things were quite different about twenty years ago, and so actually, just you know, a group of elders who appointed somebody as their pastor, knowing about my sexuality, I'm I'm hugely grateful uh, for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, about eleven years in, there were there were two or three reasons I wanted to talk about it. Um, one, and it, I was doing it around the same time as people like Ed and uh, Sam Aubrey and so on. And I think for all of us, there was a desire to give those full of 10, 15 years behind sort of role models, as it were, to say, actually, if you are same-sex attracted, there are people 15 years on who are still going uh, as Christians. Yeah, you know, partly, although it wasn't my identity, it was 
you know, it, it was something that affected me, affected how I lived. And, you know, I loved the church. And so there was always a bit of a barrier. Okay, there's this thing I know about myself that these people I love don't know. And and so I wanted to talk about it for for that reason, really. Um, and also to model weakness, actually. So because most of my life looked quite sorted, my, my nervousness was I looked like a Christian who had everything together, no real difficulties. <laughs> And I just think that's a really rubbish model of the Christian life, actually. Mm. And so wanted to model, hey, here's an area of weakness that I wrestle with. It will be different for you guys, but let's be honest, we all wrestle with weakness in, in different ways. So I, I wanted to do it for that reason. We kind of set up a, a Sunday evening series on uh, sexuality and relationships. So we did marriage, singleness, uh, homosexuality, you know, I think that's the language we used back in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, we kind of sent an email to the church saying, hey, here's the series. Andy's going to do the one on same-sex attraction. Here's why. That was quite an interesting email to press send on. Um, <laughs> just thinking, ah, what's going to come back? But, I mean, the church I mean, the church was wonderful, actually. The, If I'm honest, I didn't think there'd be problems. What I thought I'd get is a great chorus of silence. I kind of, mm. that's all a bit awkward, so let's pretend that hasn't happened, shall we? That That's kind of what I thought <laughs> might happen, whereas um, I think I got emails back from about two-thirds to three-quarters of the congregation. Some, some kind of, ah, I'm not quite sure what to say, but thank you for sharing that, and... Yeah, just I mean they they were absolutely wonderful actually, and um, it it turned what yeah it was a nerve wracking process into just a wonderful encouragement, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, I'm just hugely thankful for for the way the church handled that, and and again be, because sometimes because sometimes the church gets a bad press generally that you know they're useless at handling sexuality issues. Parmi just wants to say. Actually, I think in the majority of cases, particularly in the last few years, I just think most churches do handle it reasonably well. And, mm. and certainly Woodstock Road was was a brilliant example of that. Mm, that's great to hear. And I think it's really helpful when people in church leadership model vulnerability and struggle and don't pretend to have it all together. I think that really sets a, a, a helpful and healthy uh, church culture. Thank you for sharing your story, Andy. That's That's fantastic. Just to let you know that the Living Out team is coming to Southend on Saturday the 28th of January. This is your chance to explore sexuality in our culture, the biblical picture and how we can support same-sex attracted Christians in our churches. You can find out more and book a place at livingout.org slash events. Andy, you've written lots for the Living Out website and I'd encourage listeners to go and have a hunt around the website to read lots of the great stuff that Andy's written. I'd love to just discuss and pick out some of the themes of just maybe a couple of your pieces when we get time. One is, I know you've written an article called uh, Exorcism? Question mark. And I wonder if you could tell us a bit about why did you write that and what kind of the key points you wanted to communicate in talking about that topic? I mean, the main reason I wrote it was because I joined the Living Out team and one of the first things Ed said to me was, we need an article on exorcism. So <laughs> so if I'm honest, I, I was just sort of naive and obedient in my uh, my first sort of couple of weeks on the team. But I, I suppose the more serious answer to, to that is, um, you know, as you listen to various people's stories, often those who now would be gay and would be arguing for a change in the church's position – uh, to sort of accept same-sex marriage, 
tragically, a, a number of them had some really horrible stuff done to them by the church in the early years, uh, particularly actually around this area of exorcism. So, you know, I can think of a story of, of somebody, Christian Camp, sort of, you know, talking to leaders about, you know, being gay, and, and the response was to try and perform some kind of exorcism to cast out the, the demon of, of homosexuality. Um, and so was was keen just to address it for for that reason because I I think that's just pastorally harmful. I think it's also theologically wrong. So you know, as so you look at in the Gospels at those who are possessed by demons, they're they're people who are opposed to Jesus. You know, they're sort of Jesus, get away from us. You know, whereas somebody saying I want to follow Jesus but I experience same sex attraction, it's just a completely different category, um, and. You know, in a sense that the language I would use is one of the things I experience is sort of same-sex temptation. So I'm tempted to engage in same-sex sexual activity. And I think I'd be left saying, good grief, if you're going to try and exercise temptation out of everybody, you're going to carry out quite a lot of exorcisms. Uh, and just to say, I just think it's the the wrong category. Um, and so I, I just I just want to – to be honest, I don't think it happens as much as it probably did – 20, 25 years ago, uh, but just where there are any examples left, I really want to discourage exorcism as any kind of pastoral response uh, to to sexuality questions. Uh, but I suppose as I as I looked into it, I, I kind of said, but I don't want to totally write the devil out of the picture, and so began to develop some other themes in the article as well. Yeah, well, I wanted to pick up on that. I, mean, I know you, yeah, has some really helpful wisdom on exorcism that not being the right pastoral response, not being the theologically right uh, understanding of experience same-sex attraction. But I also know you do think it is helpful and important for Christians to be aware of the reality of the devil and to think about that and how we respond to the reality that he exists. Say a bit more about that for us and pick why you feel that's important for, for all Christians, including those of us same-sex attracted. As you look at the the Bible, you know, particularly outside the Gospels, as it were, you see you see the devil still at work, but often more subtly. You know, not in quite a sort of visible way. Um, and there are just two titles that are given to the devil that I I think are worth reflecting on and are possibly useful for us to to recognise. So, so Satan's the deceiver. So right back as early as Genesis three, Satan's the one who questions that God's creation plan is good essentially um and so it does seem to me that where either in our own lives or even in the church context that the goodness of god's beautiful plan for sexuality that ultimately leads to jesus and the church where where that's questioned you kind of think there must be some aspect of the devil at work here very subtly very quietly probably totally you know the, the people who swallow it aren't aware they're not sort of actively agents for satan or anything like that but but subtly they're being deceived that god's plan isn't good um and then the other title that Satan has is the accuser. So I don't know whether you ever noticed that Satan is totally inconsistent. So, so he'll, he'll kind of sow temptation in our minds and kind of say, you know, get, give in. You know, you don't need to go God's way. Give in. It'll be fine. And then as soon as you do sin, he then turns around and you and says, right, you've blown it. You know, God doesn't love you anymore. You, you're worthless. And so Satan functions both deceiving us and then actually when we've sinned, accusing us and saying, yeah, you've blown it, God doesn't love you anymore. And so 
again, where people gay, same-sex attracted, wanting to live for Jesus, end up covered in quite a lot of shame and guilt. I just think it's useful to see Satan's hand there. The reason I think it, it is useful to spot Satan is, if we don't spot Satan, we'll think it's us being rational, or we'll sort of indulge the thoughts, maybe God's plan isn't sort of heterosexual marriage pointed to Jesus or the church, or, or maybe God doesn't love me because I'm gay, same-sex attracted. Actually, to spot, no, no, those will be the voice of Satan. I need to resist those. I think can just be pastorally quite helpful. And, you know, part of me wishes that where churches have been carrying out exorcisms, when people have talked about same-sex attraction, they'd said, oh, Satan might be having a go here, just in covering you with shame and guilt, and you don't need to because Jesus died for you. Um, and so Palmy wants to say pastorally we need to spot actually what the devil is doing rather than creating some kind of demon of homosexuality. Yeah, is that classic thing, is it? Or the, the best battle ta- technique and tactic is to be aware of how the enemy works. That's what really equips you. And I think it's so important for us to do that. And I know for myself, I can be slow to recognize kind of a spiritual attack in that sense, actually, and don't spend enough time thinking, actually, what are the ways that the enemy seeks to oppose me, draw away, draw me away from Jesus? Actually, when you're aware of the tactics, you start to spot them. You can then be proactive about them. So I guess, therefore, have you got wisdom? What's the being proactive about opposing those tactics? Kind of how can Christians fight the spiritual battle around sexuality? Mm. Three things. So, I mean, one, as you just said, spot it. So spot what is Satan's work. Expect that to to happen. I mean, secondly, trust Jesus. So actually, Jesus answers both of those things. So Jesus shows us that God is good and his plan is good. And so as you look at Jesus, that's the great antidote. And of course, Jesus is also the the one who releases us from guilt and shame. And so when Satan has a pop at us, you know, you're gay, you're same-sex attracted, God can't love you. Yeah, we look at Jesus who's showing his love uh, on the cross. But but just one last thing, which might be slightly out of left field. I I love the book of Job, actually. And, you know, the the thing that Job does, uh, sorry, Satan does, is he says to uh, to God, Job doesn't really love you. He only loves the stuff you give you. Take it away and he'll curse you. And it seems to me one of the ways in which same-sex attracted Christians fight the spiritual battle is at one level, we've lost stuff. You know, we've lost the opportunity to have a sexual relationship. And yet when we have that, and yet we're still thanking and praising and loving God, I think that says something to Satan, actually. It says, you know, it reveals Satan's lies that people can lose out on stuff and yet still praise God as a, a wonderful, loving, kind uh, creator. Yeah, it's so good. And I wonder if we could pick up one of your other PCs, which maybe is the flip side. If exorcism is a bad way, pastorally, to respond to experience same-sex attraction, you've written a really great blog series under the title, What Does Good Pastoral Support Look Like? Three different blogs. Um, just for really great wisdom. Wisdom for pastors, for small group leaders, just for friends, actually. Really useful wisdom as well. What for you are some of the kind of central principles of good pastoral care for supporting same-sex attracted Christians? I mean, the main thing is listen well. Um, funnily enough, I've made mistakes caring for people who are same-sex attracted just because I kind of are oh, same-sex attracted and immediately thought, oh, okay, no, I know what that's like. And then <laughs> actually discovered their experience is quite different from mine, but I'd assumed it wasn't. So uh, listen, um, I don't know how you guys find it. Still, actually, you know, sexuality stuff, there's loads of stuff that keeps whirring around my head all the time. Uh, and so actually just just friends or pastors who will just take the time to listen to what's in my head 
is actually incredibly helpful for me. Um, and so take the time to listen. Ask questions that don't assume things. You know, what's it like for you? Are there times you can see God doing good things in your life through it? Are there times that are just hard? You know, where are you in terms of what you think Jesus wants you to do with this? You know, just just listen and and ask the questions. Um, encourage. So I remember, you know, I, yeah, I remember one friend just just coming up with a really really thing that just really encouraged me. He said, look, I can see so much evidence of the Spirit at work in you in the way you're responding to this. Now, <laughs> there's probably plenty of stuff that revealed the opposite, but but actually it was just a, it was just a really encouraging thing to to say to somebody who could you know, often feel ashamed about sexuality and so on. And so if you can see ways in which the Spirit is just enabling them to keep going, uh, say that. Just lastly, one... One pair that I, th- I think is helpful to, to have in mind, um, you know, as people ask me what it's like, suffering and temptation is a pair that I use quite a bit. And probably those who've helped me most have been those who've held those two things together. So at one level, there is a temptation to engage in thoughts, actions that aren't pleasing to, to Jesus. Um, so there is a, a temptation element to it. And some people have been really good at that, you know, how we... How can we help you to stand firm and so on? But of course, there is also a suffering element to it. It you know it involves sometimes missing out on a a sexual relationship on a, a nuclear family. Um, you know, the, there's just some of the suffering of friendships that can sometimes feel confusing, where you've got a good friendship and then it just becomes too good a friendship in your head, and that can actually be pretty painful. Um, and so, those who've helped me most are are those who've got both elements of that who could weep with me at times and at the same time want to encourage me to keep living for Jesus and of course the last thing is when you think about suffering and temptation there's just one person who of course models that best of all um, is Jesus himself who suffered when he was tempted and so again people who can just point me to to Jesus in his sympathy actually Um, you know people who've done that for me have just been a, a real blessing and a real encouragement so th- those are just a sort of random thoughts really as to to different ways in which we can helpfully pastor those who are gay same-sex attracted well they're great random thoughts i've <laughs> often found your your suffering temptation pairing really helpful because i've observed i think in people around me people tend to um naturally be drawn to one or the other and actually take one of those two extremes and kind of miss the other and they might be doing well on one side of your sense but i'm thinking there's a whole aspect of this experience you're not getting it can be kind of on either side and actually having that as a pair of now both those things are there interrelated important is really yeah just really really helpful i'd really encourage listeners to go and look up that blog series what does good pastoral support look like we'll put that in the show notes links to those also uh, andy's uh, article on exorcism and why not have a hunt around the website you will find loads of brilliant resources written by andy uh, articles blogs lots of reviews as well as things he's read including books that made him cry and a books he has raved about in reviews so do take a look at those that is sadly all we've got time for today. Thank you for Andy, to Andy's joy joining us. Thank you to Anne for being with me. And thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you always get the latest episodes of the podcast. And why not send this podcast to a friend or someone else in your church who you think might benefit from it? 
This is actually the last in the current Meet the Author series. In two weeks' time, though, there will be a bonus episode dropping into your feed, which is a compilation of unheard clips from the current series, some great nuggets of wisdom from the brilliant guests that we've been hearing from. So make sure you're subscribed. Look out for that coming soon. We hope that you can join us then.